We begin a brand new study this morning, a study we're calling God Meant It for Good, The Life of Joseph, Genesis chapter 37, and we'll begin reading there at verse number one, Genesis chapter 37, begin reading at verse number one. The Bible says in Genesis 37, one, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Joseph or Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings in our lives. We thank you now for this moment where we encounter your word. I pray, Father, that you'd quiet our hearts, remove any hindrances and distractions May the Holy Spirit have his will and way in each and every person's heart and life today. Use me, Father. I want to be a blessing. I want to be an encouragement. Happy behind the cross and speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this study on the life of Joseph, there are two verses that I want to call your attention to. Two verses I want you to at least jot down the references, if nothing else, so you'll have them. But I want you to keep these in your mind and I want you to keep them there all throughout the series because I'm going to make reference to them time and time again. They're going to serve as an overriding theme of all that we're going to study when it comes to Joseph and his life. And I'm going to read them for you today. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 50. And there are words that Joseph spoke to his brothers After his father, Jacob, died in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, Joseph says this. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. And thus the title of our series, God meant it for good. Now, the second verse I want you to take note of and and to keep in your mind as we study was not written during Joseph's life. In fact, it's found in the New Testament. And I think as we study the life of Joseph, you're going to see this verse literally lived out before your eyes. And remember this, beloved, you and I, we know the rest of the story. We have the entire book of Genesis. We know what happens. But remember this, Joseph was living this out. One day at a time. And that verse I'm referring to is Romans chapter eight and verse twenty eight. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans chapter eight, verse twenty eight. And those two verses will serve as an overriding theme as we study. Now that you have those, here's what I want to do this morning to get started. I want to go back and paint a picture for you of Joseph's life up to this point here in chapter 37. I want to show you his family tree. I want to show you what his life was like. I want to show you what kind of environment he grew up in. 
And everything that I'm getting ready to share with you is found in the chapters leading up to this one. And instead of going back and looking at passage after passage after passage, I'm simply going to summarize the story for you. And I encourage you to go back and read it sometime this week. We first meet Joseph at his birth in Genesis chapter 30. He was born, of course, to his father, Jacob, and his mother, whose name was Rachel. We'll talk about more about Rachel in just a moment. But let's think about Joseph's father, Jacob, for a moment. If you remember, Jacob was the son of Isaac and Isaac was the son of Abraham. Let me line that up for you. Here's what that means. Joseph's great, great grandfather was Abraham. His grandfather was Isaac and his father was Jacob. Think about that. He was the the grandchild of Abraham, Isaac and the child of Jacob. Now, if you remember Jacob, Joseph's father, he was known as the supplanter. He was crafty. He was deceitful. He was a con man, if you will. You remember from Sunday school, maybe throughout the years or maybe even recently, as you've been reading your Bible, he bought his brother Esau's birthright for a bowl of stew in Genesis chapter 25. We know he also cheated his brother out of his his father's blessing in Genesis 27. And because of Esau's anger and his desired revenge, Jacob had to flee to his uncle Laban's in Genesis chapter 27. And if you remember anything about Laban, you find that Jacob fell under a con man himself. (laughs) Now, in Genesis 29, Jacob fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he agreed to serve Laban for seven years in order to have her hand in marriage. And he served those seven years. And when the seven years were complete, Jacob forgot to peek under the veil and make sure who he was marrying, because it turned out he married Leah, Rachel's older sister. He married Leah instead of Rachel. Well, he was not very happy about that, but eventually they worked it out and he was given Rachel as well. But it was upon the condition that he would serve Laban for seven more years. So Jacob has two wives now, one that he really, really loved named Rachel and one that he really didn't named Leah. And now things get very, very interesting at Jacob's house. The baby wars, as we might call them, begin in Genesis 29 and 30. We find that Leah right off the bat bears Jacob four sons. But Rachel, his beloved, is barren. Well, Rachel gets desperate and she decides to give Jacob her handmaid and her handmaid was named Bilhah. And he gave, she gave Bilhah to him to get children for Rachel. Now, notice our passage today as I'm talking. Look at verse two. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah. So now you know and remember who Bilhah was. And with the sons of Zilpah. We say, well, who's Zilpah? Well, Leah gives her handmaid, Zilpah, to Jacob as as a wife, if you will, to have sons for her. And Bilhah gives him sons. So Bilhah's given him sons and Zilpah and, and, and Leah. And then we find that uh, Leah and Rachel uh, actually began bargaining for time with Jacob using mandrakes. Bargaining for time. Now, those who maybe are new to the faith, you think the preacher's making up stuff up there. I'm not. Those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you you know what I'm telling you is the truth. And I want you to go back and read it again and and check up on me, if you will, and, and see that, yes, I am telling you the truth. Well, finally, Rachel had a son and his name was 
Joseph. Uriah, Joseph. All together with those four ladies, we find that Jacob had 13 kids, 12 boys, the 12 sons of Jacob and one girl named Dinah. Now, now, Joseph only had one real or full brother, and his name was Benjamin. And if you remember, Rachel gave, uh, gave birth to Benjamin, but died in the process. Now, fast forward, and I'm leaving out a whole lot of stuff here, and that's why I want you to go back and read for yourself. But Jacob eventually leaves Uncle Laban. Now, remember, God dealt with Jacob at various times throughout the story. And in chapter 32, Jacob, the supplanter, becomes Israel, a prince with God. You'll notice in our passage this morning, he's referred to by both titles or both names. Chapter 37, verse 2 says, these are the generations of Jacob. And verse 3 says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now that we have it, turn back just a page or two to chapter 35. And I want to read some scripture beginning at verse uh, 16. It says in chapter 35, verse 16, and they journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath and Rachel prevailed and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath which is Bethlehem, and Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And we come down now, if you would. Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 22. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. Here they are. Here's how many they had, each lady. The sons of Leah... Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. And the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Pandanaram. Now, think about that for a moment. Now that we know all that history, we come back to our passage this morning. And I want to submit to you right off the bat this morning that Joseph lived in and grew up in a messed up family. He lived in a messed up family. His family was messed up. Now, Ed Heinsohn was right that Joseph had the advantage of growing up after his father's spiritual turning point at Bethel. And unlike his half-brothers who had witnessed Jacob's conniving and manipulative ways and lifestyle, Joseph knew a dad whose life had been transformed, dramatically transformed by God. So Joseph grew up respecting his father and, and followed Jacob's godly example. And that is right. But I want to show you this, beloved. All the fruit and all the results of what I just shared with you They had a tremendous impact on this family. Even years later, we find a 17 year old young man named Joseph here. His family was messed up or, as we like to say today, dysfunctional. That's what we like to talk about. Dysfunctional families. Erwin Lutzer said this in his book, Keep Your Dream Alive. His home, that is Joseph's home, was cursed with broken relationships, hatred, treachery and murder. 
even by contemporary American standards, his family was a disaster. Let me say that last part again. Luther said, even by contemporary American standards, Joseph's family was a disaster. Now, let me tell you this. That should be a sentence of hope. Say, preacher, have you lost your mind? That seems like a strange statement to say, talking about a family in disaster. That's a sentence of hope. Well, think about it. All of us have messed up homes. All of us. Why? Sin. Because of sin. Now, granted, ours may not be as messed up as Joseph's family was, but all of our homes are impacted and messed up by sin. Now, realizing that, here's the hope. Realizing that the mess that Joseph's family was in, that God could take somebody from a really messed up family and use him for God's glory. That is hope. That is hoping for someone who grew up in or someone maybe even now growing up in a really messed up home, a home that is in shambles. If you think about it, in reality, Joseph's home is not all that different from many homes in America today. Now, only a small group of people would practice open polygamy, would have multiplied or multiple wives. But many boys and girls today grow up with more than one dad or mom as a result of divorce and remarriage or even multiple divorces. Think about it. If a man and woman divorce and each remarries, that child now has two moms and two dads, one real and one step. And let's say just one more parent were to get a divorce and remarry. Now, depending upon which parent it was, they may have two moms and three dads or or three dads and two moms, one real and a couple of step. And then you go from that and you add into all that. Those families, those grandparents, those aunts, those uncles, step siblings, step brothers and sisters, and all of it gets really, really complicated. In fact, when I just started thinking through that process, I got a little bit confused myself just thinking about it. So realizing that Joseph is a story of hope indeed. Now, we've laid the groundwork now. We kind of got our bearings. Let's look at what it says about Joseph in these four verses. And I want to give you four main points today, and we'll talk about them. I want to think about how his father treated him. I want to think about how his brothers treated him. I want to think about how their treatment impacted him. And fourthly, and finally, we'll talk about today how all of this can help us today. How all of this can help us today. Let's notice, first of all, how his father treated him. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. How did Jacob treat Joseph? Well, first of all, he made sure that Joseph learned the family business. He made sure that Joseph learned the family business. It says here that Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now, Jacob was a shepherd and therefore his sons were shepherds. This was the family business. And Joseph needed to know how sheep and shepherding worked. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you leave today and you go out and do an independent study on the life of Joseph and you get the Bible commentaries and you get all the various books that are written just on his life, you're going to find that scholars are all over the place when it comes to this young man. I went back and counted 
And I have in my library 16 books just on Joseph, 16 books just on Joseph and including those and all the Bible commentaries and other reference works that I consulted. I looked at over 50 different works, 50 different books to prepare this message. And it's amazing to see how different the opinions are. Some see Joseph as a young man who did nothing wrong. And then some see him as an arrogant tattletale. Who's right? Well, here's what I'm going to do, beloved. Here's my commitment. I'm going to come at the study of Joseph in the best way I can. That is asking the Holy Spirit to illumine the scripture so I can present Joseph to you in a clear light. Joseph is a fascinating character. Joseph is my favorite Bible character. I've been looking forward to this study literally for years. That is no stretch. And then last week. I got called away. So you're in trouble today. Joseph is a hero of the faith, no doubt about it. But remember, Joseph was human. He was flesh and bones. He was a sinner just like us. He had feelings just like us. He was imperfect just like us. Now, all that being said, what's going on here in verse number two? Some scholars believe at this point in verse two that Joseph was not working here. He was put in charge of the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. He was their overseer. They don't think he was actually working. He was just watching. I do not. I think what we have here is exactly what it says. He was feeding the flock with his brethren. He was learning the family business. Now, what age he began, I don't know. Uh, Jacob may have kept around the house for a while. But by the age of 17, he's out in the field. He's, he's working. And you understand what I'm about to say later a little bit better. But here's what I think is going on here. Jacob has in mind here for Joseph to learn the family business because one day he was going to own the family business. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Jacob, his father, made sure that he knew the family business. Secondly, he made sure that Joseph knew he was loved. He made sure that Joseph knew he was loved. Look at verse three. Now, Israel loved Joseph. Now, parents, would you agree with me? It is proper. It is good. It is the right thing to do to make sure that your parents, to make sure that your children rather know that you love them. Absolutely. One thing I hope that Gideon and Gabriel both know is that their daddy loves them. I want that to be ingrained in them. Dad loves me and dad loves me unconditionally. Dad will always love me. Even when he must discipline me, he loves me. Now, Jacob was right in loving Joseph. And I think he was right in making sure Joseph knew he was loved. Now, why did Jacob love Joseph? Well, he was his son, of course. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. But notice what scripture says here. It says because he was the son of his old age. Now, actually, if you want to really get down the brass tacks, Benjamin was the son of his older age because Benjamin came after Joseph. But look, that may not mean exactly what you think it means. It can actually be translated this way, that he was the son of the ages. What does that mean, preacher? Well, one writer said this. It's a reference to a child who is very perceptive and discerning, as well as, listen, compliant and obedient. Joseph is the dream of every parent. There is never a conflict with his son. He is always obedient. That could be the translation there, what it means. Let me ask you, do you have any children like that at your house? Always obedient. 
always compliant, always just a dream, just a joy to be around. We don't. (laughs) At this point, if that happened, I'd be worried. I think they're sick. There's something wrong. You see, a child like that would be easy to love, right? They're easy to get along with. Why did Jacob love Joseph? Well, he's his son. He was probably very compliant and easy to live with. Remember, he's also the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, his true love, Rachel. Rachel is dead, but Joseph lives. Now, Benjamin was there, too. But remember, Rachel died giving birth to him. But there's Joseph. And maybe we don't know. Maybe every time he looked at Joseph, he saw Rachel. Perhaps maybe even Joseph resembled his mother. We don't know. But we know this. Jacob loved Joseph. But there's a problem. You see, he made sure that Joseph knew that he was loved. But he also made sure that everybody else knew that Joseph was loved. Because it says what? Verse 3. Israel loved Joseph. Oh, it would stop there, but it doesn't. More than all his children. Jacob loved Joseph more than the other boys and the girl. Jacob should have known better. He had experienced this himself in his own home. His twin brother was named Esau. Listen to what Genesis 25, 27, 28 says. And the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. A lot of you guys, man, you would have been buddies with Esau out hunting and rugged and manly. He was a real hairy guy, too, if you read about him in Scripture. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. But look at verse 28. Listen. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob should have known better to play favorites. He'd experienced that in his own home, in his own life. But instead of learning the lesson, he simply repeated it. It became a generational sin, just as many children repeat the sins and failures of their parents. Alcoholic parents who have alcoholic children, abusive parents who have abusive children. Not always, praise God. It doesn't have to be that way by the grace of God, but often it is. And here's where it gets really sticky. He made sure that Joseph knew he was loved, but he made sure everybody else knew that Joseph was loved. Because it says in verse 3, he made him a coat of many colors. Now, the fact that he was his favorite is bad enough, but then to have a presentation of that in the form of this coat of many colors. Now, let me ask you, don't answer out loud, but think in your own heart and mind. What came to your mind when I said a coat of many colors? Just think for a moment. Now, let me say this. If a coat of multicolored quilt patches came to your mind, sewn together, put that image out of your mind forever. That may be the kind that Dolly Parton had and sang about her coat of many colors, but that's not what Joseph had. You know why? This coat was not given out of poverty. This coat was given out of wealth. Out of wealth. Listen to what Greg Laurie said. He said, really, it was a multicolored tunic or robe. As one translation puts it, a richly ornamented robe. He says there's more here that meets the eye. One Old Testament commentator said the tunic, listen, was sleeved and extended to the ankles. Obviously, Joseph was not going to do manual labor in a garment like that. In Joseph's day, the working garb of the people in the fields would have been short, sleeveless tunic. 
a garment that kept your arms and legs free. It makes sense. You're working out in the field. You don't want something down to your, your, your wrist and your ankles. You want something that's short and, and sleeveless you can work in. He said, if you showed up in a long sleeve, full length robe, richly ornamented, you weren't going to be doing much that day. It would be like showing up in the field. Listen, showing up in the field today wearing a tuxedo. That's the idea. He said, by giving this coat to Joseph, Jacob was saying, son, you don't have to work the way your other brothers do. Let them tackle all the hard labor. You can sit in the shade and check on check up on them. You know what it says here is this coat. This coat set Joseph up as the manager, as the overseer. See, I think in verse two, he was out learning the father's business and learning what it was to be a shepherd. He was going to own. He's going to be the manager. But then we get down to verse three. He had been given this coat of many colors. And that says, I'm the manager. And it also showed everybody else that Jacob had chosen him to be the heir, to receive the birthright and the blessing. You see now why I said earlier, you understand why I believe he was out in the field working. He was preparing him. He was preparing him. To learn the family business because he owned it. And he had to work in it and learn it to be effective in running it. But now he's set up as the manager and the overseer. Well, that's how his father treated him. Notice, secondly, how his brothers treated him. One phrase sums it up. They hated him. Why did they hate him, preacher? Well, first of all, they hated him because of his report. Look at verse 2. It says he was out feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. What have they done? We don't know. Now, was Joseph simply a tattletale or was he right in, in delivering this report? There are good men on both sides of the fence. You go and read, you have a stack of books on this side. He was doing the right thing. A stack of books on this side. He's doing the wrong thing. The scripture does not allude to the fact it was a bad thing. It simply states it. He brought to their father the evil report. Now, I believe after studying it that Joseph was not just being a tattletale. He was right in delivering this report. Listen to what John Curson wrote. He said, in the story of Joseph, we find insights about Jesus. Prophecies that point to Jesus. And understandings concerning the nature of Jesus. Listen. In fact, wherever you touch Joseph, you'll find Jesus. Think about that. He said Joseph was not being a tattletale. Rather, he was in harmony with his father and cared about his father. He was accountable to his father. Jesus in the same category. I always do the things that please my father, he said in John eight twenty nine. Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? He asked in Luke 2:49. The son does nothing of himself, but what he sees and hears of the father, that will he do, he declared in John 5:19. And at any given moment, in any given situation, the Bible tells us I'll either seek to please God or seek to please man, Galatians 1:10. I'm either going to be concerned about what the father thinks of the way I'm living and talking, the things I'm doing, the plans I'm making. Or I'll be concerned about the opinion of those around me regarding those things. Listen. He said Joseph realized his brothers wouldn't be happy when he told his father about them. But he cared more about his father than he did his brothers. It's a beautiful illustration, not of a tattletale, but of one living in harmony with his father. Now, no doubt this helped fuel the fire when it came to his brothers They hated him 
because of his report, but they also hated him because of his robe. They say, Rodney, was it just the robe itself? I mean, it was an expensive gift, no doubt about it. It was an expensive gift. I don't think it was just the fact that he had a robe. It's what that robe, that coat, that tunic meant, what it represented. It stated clearly, listen, here's what it said. I am dad's favorite. He loves me more than he loves you. I am in charge and I will be in charge. That's what it said. You could have painted those words on the T-shirt. Joseph could have wore it around. That's what it said. Dad, I'm dad's favorite. He loves me more than he loves you. I'm in charge. I'll be in charge. Now, I personally think it was a mistake on Jacob's part to give this coat to Joseph. It certainly would not ease the tension in the house. It actually just added fuel to the fire. Now, listen, though, that does not excuse Joseph's brothers. They were responsible for their own actions and reactions. They were responsible. It says in verse four. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. They couldn't even speak peaceably. They couldn't get along. They they could not say a kind word to Joseph. They hated him. Well, let's talk about thirdly this morning, how their treatment impacted him. The father and his brothers. I want you to remember this as we study. We're not talking about a made up story today. We're talking about a 17-year-old young man who lived this out in his own life. And I remind you again, he didn't know how it was going to turn out. He didn't know the end. So how did he respond to all this treatment? How did did it impact him? What was Joseph's reaction? Well, I think, first of all, we can say this. He loved his father. He loved his father. I think that is as clear as clear can be. Joseph loved Jacob. I think secondly, we could say he did not conform to his brothers. He did not conform to his brothers. You see, when he was out in the field, keeping those sheep with his brothers, he had a choice to make. Just as all of us have a choice to make when we're around those who are doing wrong. We're either going to conform and go along with them or we're going to stand up and do what's right. We're going to stand up for God. Imagine the pressure now. The tensions already in this household. It's a messed up house. Messed up. And he's out there with his half brothers. The pressure's on. But Joseph chose the right path. It shows us right away. He's a godly young man. He's a pure young man. He does not conform. He loved his father. He did not conform to his brothers. But let me point out, thirdly, he had to be hurting. He had to be hurting. Joseph was not a superhero. He had emotions and feelings like all of us. He had lost his mother at a very young age. I lost my father at the age of five. And I tell you, that was not an easy thing. I can still take you to this day. The very room where I was given the news. Or I actually tried to go and hide in a closet. As I wept when I received that news. Joseph had to process that, but. At the same time, he had to process the fact that his brothers hated him. They really hated him. (laughs) And you could feel and hear the hatred that they had for him. They would not speak peaceably into him. Think back, how important was acceptance to you when you were 17 years old? How important was acceptance? (laughs) Yeah, very important, wasn't it? 
Forget about Sabbath. How about today? How many of us enjoy receiving rejection and angers from others? We don't sign up for that, do we? We say, oh, I, I want to be hated right over here. Here's the line for rejection right here. Are you beginning to feel like what it was like to, to walk in, in Joseph's sandals? And you're going to see next week it doesn't get any easier. Now, let's, let's finish up today by saying this, how all this can help us today. There are so many applications, so many ways I could go, but I'm going to contain myself, limit myself to five real quickly. Number one, reminded that God is in control. Reminded that God is in control. Remember those introductory scriptures, those key verses I shared with you. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. God is in control in this story, beloved. God is preparing Joseph. Remember this. God is the hero of this story. Just as God is the hero of every story. God can take even the evil plans of Joseph's brothers and bring about God's good. Or God's glory and their good. And we'll see how we how he does that as we study. You see, we're going to learn very, very soon. A phrase is going to appear. It says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. We're reminded that God's in control. Secondly, we're reminded of the importance of following God's plan for marriage and parenting. We're reminded of the importance of following God's plan for marriage and parenting. You take away the multiple wives from Jacob's life. You take away many of the problems in the first place. We're reminded there, do not play favorites when it comes to your children. Do not play favorites. At the very least, Jacob was very unwise in setting Joseph up with this coat of many colors in a real visible way. I kind of picture that coat as a giant bullseye, a target for the arrows from his brother's hatred and wrath and envy. We're also reminded from, from this story, don't be a passive parent. It appears, it seems that Jacob was passive at times. When it came to, came to his children. We don't see any response to this evil report. We find other places where we study Jacob. We're not sure he was really involved. Listen. Don't be a passive parent. If you ignore it, it's not going to get any better. Now at times you're going to grow tired. Real tired. You're going to grow weary. You're going to be frustrated. But don't give up. Don't give in. Don't be passive. Don't say, well, it'll work itself out. It won't. You'll see next week. It didn't work itself out. It's important to be a godly spouse and a godly parent. Third, we're reminded of the danger of jealousy. We're going to see next week just how far jealousy can take you. Let's be honest. Let's be honest for a moment. It's not easy when others are preferred above you, is it? It is difficult at times when that co-worker is promoted above you and is now your boss. That's difficult at times. Let's just be honest. Put aside your spirit, your high horse, your spiritual high horse for a moment. That's difficult at times. But you've got to remember something. God is in control. I like the way Alistair Begg put it. He said, God sets people up and brings people down. So the people who are raised up mustn't get fat heads. And the people who aren't raised up mustn't get discouraged. Someone expressed this truth in a little couplet. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. 
See, that's the hardest position to play. Second fiddle. Here's what you need to do. Do the will of God. Do your best with his help and leave the promotions and the consequences to him. The danger of jealousy. Fourth, we're reminded of the importance of not conforming. It would have been much easier and even more fun to join his brothers out in the field to go do evil rather than going back and saying, Dad, I got to tell you something. Here's what your sons are doing. We got to remember Proverbs 110. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't compromise and conform to evil. Stand up for God and live a life of honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, fifth and finally, we're out of time. We're reminded that young people count. Young people count. Joseph was only 17 years old. Yet, listen, it was important what he did and what he didn't do. Listen, if you're a young person here today, today counts. You're not rehearsing for life. You're living your life right now. And the choices you make today are of the utmost importance. Make sure, first of all, you're a child of God. Make sure you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and then set out with God's help to live your life, your whole life for his honor and his glory. Allow the Lord to use you to make a difference in your school, on your team, and even in your family. Don't just go along with the crowd. Rise above them. Live for God's glory. Be willing to say no. Be willing not to conform. Be willing to stand up for Jesus Christ, even when others hate you. Will there be hard times? Yes. Remember this. The Lord was with Joseph. As you seek to live a life for Jesus Christ's glory, the Lord will be with you as well. Make a difference. Make your life count. Joseph's story, beloved, is a story of hope. For every single person here today. He had a messed up family. But God used him. Remember this. Your past does not have to determine your future. Your past does not have to determine your future. Give both your past and your future to God. Step out in faith and walk with him. Give your past and your future to God. Step out in faith and walk with Him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes real quick? We've talked about a lot of information today. And I don't know exactly, maybe in your case, where the Holy Spirit is putting His finger. Maybe your need today is salvation. You need to trust Christ as Savior. Maybe you say, preacher, my family's messed up. I'm growing up in a messed up home. I grew up in a messed up home. There's hope, friend. There's hope. Your past does not have to determine your future. Would you today come and give that past to the Lord? And at the same time, say, Lord, here's my future. I want to live for you. I want to be used by you. I want to live for your glory. Maybe somebody here today would say, you know what? I'm getting a lot of pressure from the world to be squeezed into its mold. I feel like Joseph out in the field with his brothers. 
they're doing evil and it's getting difficult, preacher. Would you give that to God? Would you say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to stand for you. I know you're with me. I know you're in control. Give me strength and wisdom and the courage to stand and do right. Maybe you're a parent here today and you're ready to give up. Man, you're ready to wave the white flag. Don't give up. Don't be passive. Don't ignore it. Don't just let it go, but go forth with God's help, praying all the way. Don't play favorites. Don't play favorites. What is it God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about today? Joseph's story is a story of hope. God will use you in your life as you yield and submit to his will. We're going to find out something, though. It doesn't mean it's going to be an easy, rosy, strewn path. There are difficult days. And God molds us and conforms us and shapes us to the image of the Lord Jesus for our good and his glory. Will you submit to that process? Will you submit to that refining fire and say, Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord. Use my life. I give it to you. Whatever the Lord speaking to your heart about, we're going to pray in just a moment as we stand and sing. There's an altar here. You know what the Lord's telling you about. You come, you step out. You talk to him about it. You need to be saved today. Mention that to me and we'll put you with someone who will sit down with the Bible and share the gospel with you. But you step out in just a moment after we pray and begin singing. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your blessings. Now, Father, I pray in this closing few minutes that you'd work, that you'd have your will accomplished. Thank you, Lord, that you can take us messed up people from messed up families, messed up with sin, and use us to glorify yourself. Work in hearts and lives, I pray this very moment in Jesus' name. Amen.